This is Canvas, a show all about iPad productivity. My name is Fraser Spears, and I'm joined this week by David Sharty, who is sitting in for Federico, because Federico is at WWDC. David, welcome to the show again. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, and thank you, Federico, for going to WDC. Yeah, he seems to be having quite a good time over there. <laughs> and I suppose that we, we should mention the highlight of, of the whole keynote for Everyday and Relay FM was seeing the Connected Show uh, artwork used as one of the highlight features of the new podcast app on WatchOS 5. So we're, Everyday and Relay was very proud of that moment, I think. Yeah, that was that was pretty cool. Um, it's it's nice to see Apple featuring you know cool like good third party stuff. You know, it's not just like the Microsofts up on stage. Like you can tell that yeah, they the NPR, you can tell the that they pay attention yeah. to the community. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think the, the podcast people do a very good job of that as well. I mean, I don't I don't interact with the, the iTunes podcast team for any really show, but I think that uh, there's a lot of good people working there, and they're pretty responsive to the needs of you know people like Mike and so on as well. So, yep, thumbs up to Apple. Lots to talk about this week, David. Um, WWDC 2018 is obviously still going on. I think we should probably say up front that uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, the, what is it, the 5th of June? Yes. So there's, we, we know a little bit, and we're going to mostly reflect on the keynote in this week's show uh, and, and a few of the bits that have broken in, in the intervening time. Uh, but obviously, WWDC is a week-long thing that rolls out and more details come out in every session. So by the time you're listening to this on Friday, you'll, you maybe will know more or have more clarity on some of the things that we've seen. But uh, we'll, we're going to mostly focus on the keynote and just a few little tidbits that we've, uh, we've heard since, since uh, Monday finished as well. So, David, I think we'll we dive in and, and just kind of go in keynote order, I suppose. iOS was the, iOS 12 was the first thing up, and I think it's a, it's really a bag of, a, a bag of little tweaks, isn't it? What, what stood out to you as a very interesting, maybe your most favored feature? Yeah, there was, there was a lot of, like, good little stuff that I was interested in, but nothing, you know, mind-blowing. And I'm not the yeah. type of person who's always looking for, like, it has to be revolutionary every year. Um, yeah. But yeah, I I think the first thing that really stood out to me was right front and center when they started talking about iOS was the performance thing, which which mm. we have first in our notes here. But that really was surprising to me that they acknowledged like, yeah, this thing happens when we have new OSs, like the older devices, it works on them, but it's not great, you know, for the first, you know, point release or two. And yeah. they were they were being really deliberate about saying we're focusing on your older devices we want to support you we want you to have a good experience too and they're they're not dropping any devices off the compatibility list this year either which was also surprising yeah that, that was definitely appreciated because uh as i was saying to you off air you know we, we've got three kids in the family and and two of those three are now quite you know they're teenagers and instead of running two phones, we're now running four phones in the family. And of course, you know, mine's, I've got iPhone 10, and my wife's got an iPhone 7. So we're on reasonably current devices, but the girls are on an iPhone uh, 6 and 6 Plus, you know, and, and I'm like, oh, please don't let this be the year that I have to I have to refresh all of them. Because th those devices are working great, you know, and I think that um, the problem that we have, I think, over the past few years is that um, there has become a kind of mainstream perception that Apple basically ruined devices with updates. And, and I don't mean just in the sense of like they'll deliberately throttle like with the whole battery throttling thing, but just that um, 
your phone is never as good again once you do a big software update. And <laughs> my wife and I were watching the keynote, not together. She was in the room and I was watching it. Uh, and and Craig, Federico, uh, Craig Federici said, uh, uh, we bring great updates every year. And Carolyn just chimes in and goes, yeah, that muck up my system. <laughs> I thought, you know, even for, for my wife to be saying that, you know, was, uh, uh, you know that that's the perception now. And, and I think Apple, it was kind of a mea culpa without actually really coming out and seeing it. But uh, it's good to see that that's a... That's the focus again. Yeah, that's the funny thing about it because they've they've had this um, emphasis on supporting older and older devices for a while, but it hasn't always been great support. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you can install iOS 11 on a 5s, but you know, yeah. do you really want to the, on the first day it comes out? You know, a lot of people I've heard similar things like what your your wife mentioned, but also they've gotten into that habit of, you know, I'm going to wait for the point one or the point two, mm. you know, when they, they yeah. fix all the bugs, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, people are, people are asking now, is it safe to update? You know? Yeah. That, yeah, that was never a question in iOS five, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, I, I think it's great that they're getting out front with that messaging. And, and of course we're going to have to see how it actually performs in the fall. But uh, I have seen comments on Twitter from some people that, this first, it's only a developer beta right now. They haven't done a public beta yet. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it sounds like it's performing pretty well. I've seen a couple people comment about how solid it seems to be. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple apps, I think, that that aren't running on it very well, which is pretty typical. But overall, it seems like a good experience, but mm-hmm. we'll see. Yeah, I think, you know, every day always, you know, Twitter the day before the keynote is, nobody installed the beta one and the day after the keynote is, oh, beta one's really good. So, <laughs> and I can't wait for the second one. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it, it's good to see that that's, that's as solid as it is, you know, that's something that is. Um, there have been issues, you know, in different years with, with quality of final releases, but uh, I'll be interested to dig into that. I mean, I suppose in, for iOS in one way, there's not huge changes in iOS 12. I mean, iOS 11 was a very disruptive release and continues to have a number of issues. But, uh, you know, when, when you're not making such great heaving changes to the system, then, you know, it, it's probably quite possible that this is much more of an ironing out release. Because I also kind of presume that a lot of engineering work went into iPhone X support, for example. And a lot of re-engineering work went into that particular hardware release as well and and my sense is that there's probably not the same work to be done for the hardware that's coming out this year as well i'm starting to wonder if they they're treating their os their yearly os releases kind of the way they treat their iphone hardware where -hmm. you'll have the let's say iphone 7 one year where it's a lot of big stuff you know big new features new camera whatever and then the 7s is little bit of a polish you know it's got the same body but you know maybe the camera's a little bit better or something i wonder if they're doing that Mm -hmm. with their their os's um it seems eminently sensible to do so yeah i mean you can only keep you know uh firing on all cylinders for so long you know until you hit the point where you've you've got a a a long trail of, of bugs and problems to fix so um it'll be it'll be nice to see how this this release actually ends up in september for sure for sure but there was um, something else that you that you mentioned I want to go back to cuz you you had yeah. asked what what stood out to me and okay. I realized talking through the the hardware support thing um I think what actually really stood out to me was how much they've been listening to the community and to mm-hmm. basically some of our our grievances so not just on the hardware thing I'm thinking about also the uh 
the time spent. I forget the name of the feature, but it's it's the new feature that will uh, show you how much time you're spending on your phone and how many apps mm-hmm. you're using, and you can limit your time. And there's a lot more parental controls. Yeah, this That's is some- the kind of stuff that Google talked about under the sort of rubric of digital well-being. But I don't think Apple gave it a specific kind of overarching title, but they they, they talked about it in similar terms. Yeah, there was that, and then also the uh, uh, the new features for managing notifications. Mm-hmm. Right, like you can you can group notifications; they'll be stacked together. Uh, you'll be able to change notification settings for an app right from the lock screen. You won't have to go and dig all the way into settings. Yeah, that that was very welcome. Yeah, yeah, and all of those things kind of fall in my mind. They kind of fall under this sort of quality of life enhancement where it's not necessarily mm-hmm. like a big whiz-bang new feature, but it's going to make some of those really day-to-day annoyances much better, and it'll remove some of that friction and frustration that comes up in all these little ways. Yeah, definitely. I think that the the, the feature, that, and it's a small feature, but it's one I really liked and I'm going to use it all the time, is uh, do not disturb until something happens. Um, so they have uh, do not disturb as a sort of on-off toggle in iOS 11, but in iOS 12, they've got uh, do not disturb for an hour, uh, do not disturb until this evening, and, but they've also got until I leave this location or until the end of this event, and that's tied in with your calendar as well. So I think some of those would be really great. You know, I take a lot of meetings at school and things like that, and not having my watch ping off at me all the time whenever I'm talking to parents is going to be really, really valuable. So uh, just some of those little things that where the features, you know, do not disturb was kind of too gross a feature to just uh, keep flicking that on and off all the time during your day, but being able to set it and then forget it, and then it will unset itself at a time that seems appropriate, I think that's going to be very very helpful as well exactly yeah they're they're solving like some actual sort of real world problems and the the big new features are always fun but they don't they sort of how am i trying to explain this they they aren't always like solving a real problem that we already have sometimes Mm. they're tackling a new issue that maybe you didn't even think you knew you wanted um whereas like you know, being able to actually tell your phone to turn off for a little while, maybe you want to go into a movie and you want it to turn back on in three hours or whatever the time frame is, yeah. you know, those are little conveniences that are just going to make things better in all sorts of little ways. Mm-hmm. And, and I think also one thing I think could be a great extension to this feature is remember iBeacons were going to be a big thing and they really haven't been a big thing. These yeah. little Bluetooth pingers. If there was if there was a kind of iBeacon you could install in, in a certain place that would sort of prompt people with iPhones to maybe put them into Do Not Disturb, I think that would be great. Like, you know, churches oh, would yeah. install them and movie theaters could install them and museums could install them and so on. Um, I, I think that would be a, a really nice extension to that. Oh, that's a great um, idea. Yeah. I think, see, one of the things around this digital health question, though, I think is it is quite, an, I've been sort of ruminating on this a little bit, is like how much is too much? And it's a wee bit of this kind of postmodern stuff of, well, it's all, it's, it's all up to you how much is too much. And I think one of the things that uh, I just wanted to mention, a book that I've I read a while ago, it's, it's called Pressed for Time, and, and it's by a, a woman called Judy Wiseman. And she's a, a sort of uh, time and, and motion study uh, academic, and she talks about the the use of digital devices and the way that the the way that interruptions and in connectivity relate to the work that you get done. And hmm. she has a very a very subtle kind of approach to it, which is is much too complex a book to really um, explain in in one little section of the podcast. But I would recommend people have a look at that book. But 
one of the things that I took from that book was the idea that overuse of devices is is a phrase that people tend to use about other people rather than about themselves. So <laughs> that um, you know, like you're wasting time. My use is absolutely mission critical, and I think that that's just an interesting thing to see that the the line that a lot of these technology companies, Google and Apple, are taking is um, we all use our devices too much at some time. But I I'm not sure how much people believe that for themselves and i would be curious to see you know um maybe it's more like i I would like you know my partner to put on that that feature or whatever rather than people themselves and i think it's it's going to be interesting to see just how much usage that actually gets in in the real world Um, and i think certainly uh, from a kind of uh, marketing and political standpoint having the parental control aspect to this is going to be it's very helpful for apple as a company whether or not it's actually helpful for parents, I'm not absolutely sure myself, but I think it will certainly be used and be seen as Apple are trying to help parents in, in, in various ways. And I don't decry that because there are certainly some children who do need that kind of control, but not. Um, I don't necessarily think it's the best relationship that you could have with your children to to sort of remotely shut down their devices rather than talk <laughs> to them about their use, you know? Yeah, yeah, they're... they're they're tackling some complex problems. There's yeah. there's uh, an app. There's a couple apps that have, have tried to do this on, on iOS in various mm-hmm. ways. And of course, c- since they can't dig as far down into the system, they're, they're limited in some ways. But yeah. there's been one that I've been using for a little while called Moment. Have you heard of mm-hmm. this by chance? I think I have, yeah. Is this the one that analyzes your battery screen? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, it does some of the same features that that Apple announced on stage, but it's it's a little clunkier. So it its point is to try and track your time on your phone, how what apps you're using, how long you're using them, and then you can set alerts to remind you, like, hey, you've used your phone for an hour today. Hey, you've used it for three hours today. You're over the limit that you set for yourself. Maybe you should put it down. But that's about as far as it can go. It can't lock you out of an app, or it can't lock your phone or anything. But that's been really helpful just just to see some of those timers like mm-hmm. you know you've used your phone for an hour and a half today when i thought i've been using it for like maybe 10 minutes you know you, yeah. you don't always have yeah. that per perception but it also has the option to whitelist certain apps okay. so for example um you know i do a lot of social media work for developers on on a client basis so i'll i'll you know talk to their customers and post a few things to you know, help uh, inform their their audience and whatnot. And so being in a Twitter app for me sometimes is work. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. goofing around on Instagram or something, but Twitter for most people is probably, you know, goofing around. And a lot of people are trying to cut down on their social media right now. So like, it was nice that I could whitelist one of the Twitter apps that I use for work. So it's not counting mm-hmm. that against my, you know, daily limit or whatever. But yeah. The actual Twitter app, which I use for personal, you know, I do get dinged on that. So there's these little, there's these, all these little lines that they have to walk. So, um. Yes, the devil's in the details, isn't it? You know, it's, it's, um, you know, what constitutes wasting time versus, you know, you're almost getting into that exact conundrum that Judy Wiseman puts together, which is, you know, my use of Twitter is work and it's serious, but other people's use of Twitter is a waste of time. And, right. <laughs> and <laughs> so it's it's going to be absolutely fascinating to see the cultural impact of this feature. Um, and and I'm, I'm not decrying it. I'm not saying that there's no justification for having it. And I'm not saying that there aren't people in the world who have extremely addictive personalities and they have, you know, low conscientiousness and things like that. And, and people... Some people do need this kind of level of, of help and control, but not everybody does. And I think it'll be interesting to see um, 
even how many people maybe use the reporting feature but not the control feature and things like that. And mm, I think sure. it's, it's going to be interesting to see. But one of the things I'm very pleased to see Apple doing is using App Store categorization as as a general class of control. Um, rather, you know, what I mean by that is like, you know, you, you get this amount of time budget for games and anything that's called a game in the App Store mm. in that category gets... Uh, charged to that time budget whereas you could see you know kindle and ibooks has an unlimited time budget and what they're really doing there is they're taking a leaf out of the of the kindle fire tablet and amazon have always been very good at this uh, and in a way you might say what amazon are very good at doing is pandering to middle class prejudices but either way um <laughs> the, <laughs> the the kindle fire tablet has for a very long time had features where you could you could say things like um a t- certain time budget for games and, a, and an unlimited time budget for reading, for example. And, and they even advertise it with slogans like, it's not screen time, it's reading time, and things like that. You know, just the, the absolute, you know, middle-class helicopter parent part of, you know, uh, yeah. what people are anxious about around about devices. And, and Amazon have done a good job of that over time. And I know people who are, are very, um, they're very kind of iOS-centric, but they have a Kindle Fire tablet for their kids because of that exact reason. Um, and also because of the cost of it as well, I suppose. So it'll be interesting to see just how that all works through the system. But um, and I'm not decrying it. I don't think it's a bad feature or a bad idea. I just think it will be fascinating to see how many people use it and in what way. Yeah. And if, if it's solving the right problems and offering the right tools to solve their problems versus, you know, missing the mark and maybe we'll see a 2.0 next year, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, but we're going to have to see, wait and see that in in September for sure. This episode of Canvas is brought to you by SaneBox. I bet every person listening to this show has something they don't like about email and that's why you need to try SaneBox. While it would be lovely, it's just not practical to delete all your email. There's undoubtedly important stuff in there you have to deal with, but one of the big problems is that all email looks the same. At a glance, it can be difficult to try and decipher which message needs your attention. Well, wouldn't it be nice if your email could be pre-sorted before it even hits your inbox? And this is what SaneBox is all about. SaneBox sorts through your email and moves all of the trivial stuff to different folders, so the only messages in your inbox are the ones you need. And the great thing is that it will work seamlessly with your current system and with any app. One of the best features of SaneBox is called the black hole. All you need to do is move an unwanted email into that folder and you'll never hear from that sender ever again. With SaneBox you can also set up email reminders, snooze your email and so much more. To help you get a little more organization in your inbox, we've worked with SaneBox to help you get a great deal. Go to SaneBox.com canvas today and you'll get a two-week free trial and an extra $20 credit just because you listen to the show. You don't have to enter your credit card information unless you decide to buy, so there's really nothing to lose. Check it out today and get your email finally under control. That's SaneBox.com, S-A-N-E-B-O-X.com slash canvas. Uh, you mentioned notifications. I think that's an interesting one as well. But I, I'm still a little bit disappointed that we don't have a report abuse button right on that management screen. Yeah. You know, I, I think that there are absolutely some developers who are who are simply abusing the notification system to send adverts and, and the so-called kind of re-engagement messages that, that they send to try and get you to use their game or their app again uh, when you haven't used it for a while. So uh, I, I think there's still more could be done there, but I suppose putting a kill switch right up front and center is, is the next best thing that Apple could do. And it doesn't cost them anything to do that. Whereas if you had a report abuse button, you'd have to have staff somebody to look at that and so on and so on. But they just give you the turn off button. 
you know, I've been I've been thinking about that since I saw those features yesterday, and I, I wonder if it's a tough line to walk because um, it's it's easy to get annoyed if you've been getting a lot of notifications, and yeah. you know, maybe one notification comes in from an app that you actually use and did want, but you know, maybe it's the wrong timing. And I wonder if having that report button right there would would lower that bar just a little too much and and cause mm-hmm. uh, a lot of false flags. I guess is what I'm yeah. thinking. Yeah, I think that's fair, and and particularly with some news, uh, you know, one person's news is another person's pointless junk sometimes, uh, and uh, that I can see how uh, you know some providers would be cautious about something like that being put in as well. And the, and also the the last time I checked, and you might know this better, but I think Apple's rules around what you can send a notification for have kind of evolved a little bit. I thought I heard that they opened it like you used to not be able to use them to advertise anything. It could only be like a functional message about something that you've done in the app. But I thought I heard that they opened them up to say you can now advertise your other apps. So if you make three different apps, you can send a a notification about, hey, we're having a sale on, you know, this other app we make that you don't use yet, Um, where like some people would identify that as an advertisement because it's an advertisement but it's not like get $50 off of a pill at a local store you know um yeah so Mm. you know there's there there's some fogginess around the rules there that uh, uh would make possibly reporting and looking through all those reports difficult i wonder yeah, I think if if they are starting to blur the line a little bit, then just giving people the off switch maybe is the right way to to handle that one. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you think about the new Animoji and Memoji? I've never <laughs> felt so old <laughs> as watching that part of the demo. You know, like, it, <laughs> it's funny. I'm a so I'm 38 now. So okay. I guess some people would consider me old, but I I try not to. Um, I, I really enjoy this stuff. I, I think it's fun. I think it's a wonderful mm-hmm. use of some of this amazing technology that they've built into the phone. And I think people enjoy these these tools that make being creative really easy. So I, I loved it. I thought it was a, a great idea. I have a few friends who, um, let's say, bent their rules about installing betas. And they, <laughs> they, they did it right away yesterday. And, of course, the first thing they all did was make their emoji and send it to yeah. me and send me a bunch of videos. <laughs> um, so it was like the first thing that they ran to go try. Mm. So I think there's, there's something there. For yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it will, it will undoubtedly sell phones. And uh, um, <laughs> I remember when I got my iPhone 10, I, I got it and I didn't really discuss with my wife whether or not I was going to get it. I just came home with it and uh, I was unsure about the reception I was going to get at home, shall we say. But um, the, the first thing I did was I, I pulled out iMessage and I showed it to Georgia, our five-year-old, and, and put the pig face on and she laughed. And then she said, oh, it's laughing because I'm laughing and we all laughed and everything was fine. You know, I thought, yeah, now I know why Apple built that feature. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm going to use it myself, but, you know, it's... It's a great demonstration, as you say, of, of the capability that's in there. And you know, of course, now we have tongue detection, which is uh, a feature description <laughs> that's never going to leave me. <laughs> I love just trying you can to stick out your tongue. Yeah, I love trying to imagine these meetings where they come up with this. You know, we've got the animoji, but how do we, you know, improve this? How do we go to the next step? And someone's like, "Let me stick my tongue out." <laughs> you know, in a bunch of yeah. boardroom with a bunch of engineers trying to figure out what they should do next. And it's like, yeah, let's focus on the tongue. That's <laughs> 
that's what to yeah. do next. Yeah, <laughs> quite possibly. But the the end emojis, the, the sort of um, the, the self emoji is is a very interesting one, just because of the the staggering range of customization that you can apparently do with this. It seems to be um, just unbelievably twiddleable with all over. Yeah, they you don't see. I, I feel like we don't see that level of customization out of Apple very often. You know, they're not. They don't, they don't let you change your the colors of the menu buttons on macOS or anything, you know, and your wallpaper options are pretty limited, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's it's nice to see them adopting that. And they've they've kind of done it in the past with, like, when they um, they diversified the emoji, you know, like a lot of yes. the human emojis, they added, like, yeah. skin tones to them. Mm-hmm. So it's it's nice to see those options where you can really get the one, you can really make the uh, the memoji, the, the, you know, that really is... You or maybe just your digital you. Yeah, yeah. Because like it'll be it'll be everywhere soon. Yeah, I'm pretty sure mine's gonna have like purple hair and you know stuff that I I don't do in real life. Yeah, I'm that kind of person. <laughs> so what else did we get? We got um yeah there's some updates to photo sharing, some ideas like you can uh it can identify people in group photographs and offer to share with the people in the photograph. And then it will does a sort of reciprocal step where uh, once somebody's received all those photographs, it will find their photographs from the same event and then offer to share them back with the person who shared the first set. That seems like an interesting idea, but also very clearly like Apple trying not to have that relationship information in the cl- in their cloud. Yeah, that that was really interesting, especially because um, do you remember an app called Color? Yes. Yeah. Do you remember what it did? It was a, a sort of photo sharing app in, in a way, a sort of group photo app. Is that what I'm thinking of? The idea was, let's say you have a whole bunch of friends and you all install this app called Color mm-hmm. and you all go to a party at someone's house. Color would, while you're taking photos, Color would use your microphone and the ambient noise in the room to figure out that you're all at the same party and it would just oh, wow. automatically share everybody's photos at that party with everybody else that was there. And so it was an interesting idea, but it was one of the apps that really started stepping into that creepy area of like, I don't want Mm. the microphone on all the time when I'm just taking photos, you know, sort of thing. And so kind of a neat idea, but, you know, Apple bought Color. Uh, The the guy's name, what's his name? Bill, Bill Nguyen, I think, if I'm pronouncing that right. Apple bought Color, and its interface for browsing your photos is actually what became Photos in iOS as we know it now, where you can like zoom into you know your most recent events, but then zoom way out, mm. and you see that big quilt of like all the photos over the past couple months and year. Mm-hmm. That interface is basically straight out of Color, and I f- couldn't help wa- when I was watching this reveal on stage that this feature is kind of that. You know, that that idea of sharing photos from the same event or the same people, but with the proper amount of sort of privacy and user engagement inserted into it. It's kind of a a new generation of technology in it, isn't it? You know, using face recognition and GPS tagging rather than, you know, uh, audio fingerprinting of the environment, isn't it? Yeah, because, you know, these apps... You know, Apple easily could just do the features that Color had and automatically share these photos with with everybody else that was at the party because, sure, why not? Everybody would want those photos, but they're adding those controls to make sure that the user wants to do this. 
So it's yeah. it's a combination of all this machine learning, AI, you know, fancy stuff, but then also checking with you first before it starts actually sending data to anybody. And yeah. I, I think I think they're walking a great. I think they're they're walking on on the best side of that line. I I feel pretty comfortable with it. Yeah, they're leaning so heavily on iMessage as a transport. You know that it's it's almost like iMessage is is on its way to becoming a a private Facebook. <laughs> you know, if if you think about it, that's the kind, that's the kind of problem in your social life that you would use Facebook to solve in in hmm. the past time, and, and millions of people would even today. But if if you if you like privacy and everybody's on an iPhone, then you know, do you actually need to do more than iMessage sharing? Yeah, you're kind of right because between iMessage and like iCloud photo sharing and these these new photo sharing features coming in iOS 12. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's like a, a div, uh, not diversified. It's sort of a what's the word I'm looking for? It's a, it's not one single decentralized. Product. Decentralized. There we yeah, go. Yeah. You know, you you do your chatting and and your posting, quote unquote, mm-hmm. in in iMessage, and then your photos in in iCloud. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting to see how that will evolve. You know, and you've also of course got Apple Pay Cash in there as well which is another kind of social feature that people use in different platforms. Uh, let's keep an eye on where that goes, eh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, what, else is, what else is going on in iOS 12? I suppose one thing to say, David, is that not much action for iPad. You know, this is the iPad show, uh, and we're, we're mostly just talking <laughs> about generic iOS features, but nothing really particular to the iPad apart from some tweaks to swipe gestures to make it a little bit more like uh, iPhone ten. Yeah, it's it's going to get, I think, a lot of the features that were announced on stage, you know, like the performance improvements and notification updates and stuff. It, it won't have an emoji, uh, at least mm. as we know it now. It would need that uh, um, need the front-facing front camera, camera mm-hmm. that the iPhone X has. And, hey, there's always room to put that in an iPad down mm-hmm. the road. Um, Did you notice that, that on, on the iPad layouts, the, the date and time and the signals have been moved to either end of the status bar? And there's now oh, just a I had huge not. gap. There's a huge gap in the middle of the status bar on the iPad. Uh huh. Hmm. Hmm. Indeed. Yes. So anyway. yeah, I thought I saw a headline about that, like iOS 12 beta, you know, hints at Face ID coming to iPad. So that that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, for sure. I I think the um, I think last year was was sort of the big iPad release. I mean that that stuff felt like. It had been in the works for a while. It was such a radical change, and I I know you've had uh, some complaints about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it f- I, I wonder if that is a great case where you know Apple did a lot of work and and released the the really big radical changes to to the iPads interface and how a lot of things work. And now this year is meant to be some some refinements on that. Yeah, for sure. I, th- I think that's, you know, iOS 11 certainly has got, or, or the iOS 11 concept has got some refinement that it needs. So, and I think a lot of those things, to be honest with you, I mean, I have some fundamental problems with iOS 11 from a, a design point of view, but there are just some things that with a little bit more time and a little bit more prioritization, there are some issues there that could have just been ameliorated significantly just by doing a couple of extra features. And I'd be curious to see whether some of those come in iOS 12. So, yeah, uh, we'll we'll see what the future holds for iPad. I think uh, I think one of the other major things for iOS that's worth mentioning is is the FaceTime video upgrade to 32 people at once. 
Yep. Yep. That I did not expect. I I actually did expect this, and I'll I'll tell you why. Is I I, I know somebody who works at Apple who moved from uh, what was a major project, and he moved to the FaceTime team, and and I thought. Ah. You don't move a guy like that to the FaceTime team unless something big is going to be built there. So, and and I was fairly certain from like the day I heard that he moved to the FaceTime team that it was going to be uh, something like multi-party FaceTime. Now, I certainly didn't think it was going to be thirty-two people. You know, that's that's really pushing the boat out. But um, I, I I was felt sure that FaceTime was due for quite a heavy overhaul when I heard who was going to work on it. Now, I'm I'm not one of those people who says finally for for everything, but. Uh, video FaceTime between more than just two people is something that I am surprised took this long because mm-hmm. iChat had, I think you could do three or four people way back in the day. And yeah, it had a kind of cover flow style interface, didn't it? With you, you're in the middle and then people were sort of on angled on either side. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that, I mean, I could see maybe leaving that out for like the initial FaceTime reveal when Apple first released it, but I'm I'm surprised it took this long to get, you know, more than just support for more than just two participants. But mm-hmm. uh, that it was great to see the demo looked really good. Of course, you know that's something you're actually going to have to get your hands on and, and see how well it works in in real life. They, I don't know if they had 32 on stage, but they had quite a few people, and it it looked great. Yeah, it, it wasn't exactly clear to me that the demo showed these kind of floating panels where where the participants were who were talking, but there was this thing that they called the roster at the bottom, I think they called it. Mm-hmm. And that seemed to be, there seems to be some integration between uh, like a group iMessage and a multi-party FaceTime calling room, if you like. And I think there seems to be some way where whereby people can be like, um, able to join the the conference call, but not actually joined it, um, and they can be invited in or something like that. I'm I'm not entirely sure how that's going to work in practice, but uh, I think it's, it's potentially a very interesting and powerful uh, thing to have available. And again, a little bit more of your sort of private Facebook. Yeah, yeah, good call. This episode of Canvas is also brought to you by Eero. With Eero, you'll never need to worry that your Wi-Fi isn't fast enough to stream movies or download files. Because Eero have created the Wi-Fi setup of dreams, a fast, reliable connection throughout your entire house. The second generation Eero includes a third 5 gigahertz radio, making it twice as fast as before. Whatever your Wi-Fi needs, Eero will blanket your entire home in fast, reliable Wi-Fi. It sits flat on any surface, just plug it into the wall with the included power adapter and you're ready to connect your Eero, either with Ethernet or wirelessly. And the included thread radio means you can connect to low power devices like locks, doorbells and more. And they also have the tiny Eero beacon. All you need to do is plug it into a wall and expand coverage to any room. So you don't have to move to a different part of the house to get the internet speed you want. And it even includes a built-in LED nightlight with ambient light sensor. The Eero app lets you control the network from your phone. And it's no hassle to create and share a guest network too. Plus, their customer support is phenomenal. You can call and get hold of a Wi-Fi expert in just 30 seconds. You can get your own Eero system, including one second-generation Eero and two beacons, for just $399. This is everything you'll need to get started. And you don't have to wait weeks to get hold of your new dream Wi-Fi setup. Listeners of this show can get free overnight shipping to the US or Canada when you head to Eero.com and use the promo code CANVAS. That's eero.com with the promo code CANVAS for free overnight shipping. We thank Eero for their support of this show. We cannot 
let an episode of this show go by without talking about what became of Workflow. And Siri Shortcuts is the new name for Workflow, I believe. Uh, and it's, it's clearly significantly changed from the Workflow app that we know and love today. But I think that was a kind of uh, potential star of the show. I think Apple has reframed the idea of Workflow in a very interesting way to kind of put it under the rubric of Siri. But... I think it's it's potentially going to be you know an even bigger deal than than workflow already is in iOS. Yeah, that I mean it, it was sort of an assumption that Apple's going to work workflow into. I, I felt like it was kind of a foregone conclusion. Just how they were going to do it was was kind of the big question, and I agree that Siri was a really interesting idea and a, and a clever way to do it. But I, I, I as I understand it, apps can also tap into that. Because I think yes. I remember the example on stage, the the woman who was demoing, I, I forget her name, she uh, she opened up Kayak because she had booked a hotel and there's a big, you know, add this to, add this shortcut to Siri button or something like that there. And so you don't have yeah. to go seek it out in the shortcuts app, which is something that, you know, one could argue that a lot of users might not do. Like it, it might be something For just sure. a little too yeah. nerdy, you know, outside like sort of a mainstream audience. But when it's presented in such a simple way like that when apps can kind of package it up for you and show you the val the value of it and you just have to hit a single button and now you have this awesome shortcut that automates something that's previously pretty complicated that was that was really clever yeah i, I think it's it's a genius it's a genius discoverability move because what the as far as i can tell and again it's just a day since we've seen this what they're sort of doing is they're giving third-party developers the ability to kind of deliver a workflow as part of their app if you like you know to talk about it in, in, in old oh, terms yeah you know? so you've got that shortcut it comes from an app developer but it, it's already configured to solve a, 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 a at least one kind of desire path through their application you know so if it's if it's kayak you know you want to check in or you want to modify your your booking or whatever um the, the developer knows best what what people do with their app so you know there you go. Uh, but it is, it's not just inside Siri. This was what was confusing me at the start of the of the keynote. There is actually, like, the app still exists. It's called Shortcuts now, but there is an app called Shortcuts where you can build your own step-by-step workflows. But this is kind of like the friendly way into it is a developer app, a third-party app, will give you a pre-built shortcut to do something particular that you want done. Very clever. Yeah, and, and because... As I understand it, the shortcut app is not available yet. Uh, it sounds like Apple's. It's going to be like a download that you can go get from the store. I don't know if it's going to be installed by default on, say, a mm-hmm. new device or when you upgrade to iOS 12. But another question is whether some of the more advanced functionality is still going to be available. Say, if you want to go open the app and and build a workflow by hand from scratch. It sounds like there are questions around whether you can do a lot of the variables and the loops and the multi-step sort of things that workflow is known for. And URL callbacks and things like that. Yeah, Yeah. that I think is is up in the air. It might still be there. I I certainly hope it is. But Mm -hmm. on the other hand, you know, trying to put my Apple cap on, I could also maybe see them possibly cutting that out. Yeah, or maybe even hiding it behind an advanced mode switch or something like that. Yeah, that would be good. That yeah. would be a nice yeah. compromise, I think, because that, that it, stuff is it would tremendously be upsetting valuable. To, 
yeah, it would be upsetting to break people's workflows. Um, you know, I've got some very elaborate workflows, including one which is actually four. I've got this one, which is four workflows that work together. And what it does is, is actually quite fun. Um, you can put in somebody's Twitter name and what it will do is it will go and it will pull down all the, all the people that that person follows on Twitter and then it will gather all those people's biographies and put it into a note. And well, what that what that does is it, if, if you find some, I always think if you find somebody interesting on Twitter, it's interesting to see who they think is interesting. So I've, I found a lot of new people to follow this way by looking at somebody who I think is interesting and, and running this workflow and then seeing who they follow and, and gathering new people that way. So um, that's my most complicated workflow I've ever done. It actually does kind of raw Twitter API calls in the background. Um, but I, I hope that doesn't break because it was a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, that's a really clever yeah. idea. Yeah. It's, wow. it's good fun. Yeah. yeah. That's as far as I've ever pushed workflow, but it's each part of that is broken down into a separate workflow and each one of them runs the other one. Yeah, so workflows running other workflows is, is something you can do as well. But I like the name. I think one of the confusions with workflow always was it was hard to talk about it because you would talk about a workflow workflow and people would just think you were crazy. So uh, yeah, I actually, shortcuts is cool. I actually, I agree. I really like the, the name change because I feel like it'll be a little more approachable for a larger audience, which Apple clearly, you know, wants to, wants to approach with this. So yeah. I definitely like that. Yeah. And they, they did show, now that I think about it, I, I, they did show, a, a briefly a, a screen of how a particular work excuse me shortcut uh, was mm-hmm. built and if I remember right it, it looks very much like the interface of, of building a workflow in mm-hmm. the previous app like it looked like that was pretty um, they hadn't changed it a whole lot yeah, there's definitely there's a new visual appearance for it. It's a little lighter looking, but it's there is definitely the idea of dragging blocks into place and shortcuts and 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 doing the kind of top to bottom running. But the, again, the question you asked as well, which is just how many of those really advanced things are are in there and and so on. But it would be, I think it would be strange if they stripped all of that out. But maybe some of it's hidden by default. Yeah, hopefully they, they get a beta of that ad app out during the, the process so people can mm. see sooner than later. David, you've got a bit in the notes here which is called the best iOS 12 features that Apple didn't talk about on stage. Uh, I think some of those are quite interesting as well. In particular, your your and mine shared love for 1Password. Has, yes. It's really getting interesting. I was uh, I was surprised in some ways that, that Apple did this. So, so one of the things... Apple did was they they added an, an API so that third-party password managers can plug directly into Safari. So when you come to a login form, the little the example that I saw was the the keyboard suggestion bar. You know where mm-hmm. words show up when you're typing. It can suggest a password for that website from one password. You don't have yes, to go through the share sheet thing and open the yeah. share sheet, tap one pat, you know all that. It can just suggest it right there for you, which was a really nice gesture, I thought. And I, I bet you the entitlement to do that will be very carefully policed. But I think that um, what what that does really is it also, I think what it will do also is bring um, 1Password right into apps as well. Because, you know, when you set, if you set up a new phone from scratch, you're doing a lot of jumping into and out of 1Password to copy passwords into apps that don't support the 1Password API. Um, so if that's part of the system and you focus on a a password field in any app presumably that's going to show up for you as well 
That would be really nice. I, I don't know if that's something developers have to add support for specifically, because a lot of apps I use yet don't don't even mm-hmm. tap into the iCloud keychain. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know if that's something Apple has to you know kind of broadcast more, and developers have to do work to add support for or, or what. But yeah, the apps that do add it, it it is tremendously convenient to have those passwords right there. And now if 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 they're coming from a third party app, say you work for a company and all your passwords are are managed in in you know just a vault for you or your team. I mean that's mm-hmm. that's just a big quality of life improvement right there. Yeah, I think it's huge. I mean, one of my one of my projects for next year is to move all the teachers in my school onto one password for Teams, and it's features like that that are just going to. I'm just going to be like, you know, just just press this button and your password will come. It's, <laughs> it's fine, you know. Um, and I don't have to talk about going into the share sheet and then doing your touch ID and blah blah blah. Yeah. So those those are the kind of things that are going to really drive adoption. I think of things like one password. And speaking of passwords, another. Another one of these little features that I, I thought I had seen on Sage, but apparently it wasn't, was autofill for SMS verification codes. So when you're yeah, yeah. you're logging into whatever and you have like a two-factor thing and it wants to send you a code just to verify that you're you, mm-hmm. apparently iOS 12 can just grab that code out of the message and insert it into the web page for you, which... You know, it is something you can do on your own. It's usually a short code. It's not hard to remember, but it's it's tedious. And if you forget, then you got to do it all over again. And so that's just going to be one of those other. It's it's a little thing, but it's a big quality of life improvement. It'll be interesting to see if that um, that works over continuity as well. So say you're logging in on your Mac, and you've got your phone beside you. Ooh, would would handoff support getting that across? That would be very interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen those messages show up on my Mac because I have that set up. My my Mac mm-hmm. can, you know, my phone will relay text messages to my Mac. But yeah, yeah, I wonder if uh, we're we'll talk about it briefly here in a little bit. Was it Mojave, Mac yeah. OS Mojave? Yeah, I wonder if it'll it'll go that extra step. It'd be interesting. The next step, of course, is to automatically delete these messages out of your messages when you're done because <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why I, I don't turn that on is because I'm always deleting these two-factor SMSs and then yeah. I've got to delete them from your Mac as well and blah, blah, blah. So, I don't yeah. blame you there. Quality of life improvements. I think that's a that's a really nice way to describe this WWDC, I think, is, is quality of life enhancements all over. Yeah, there are these, all these little interactions that you have throughout the day and when these little changes show up, I mean, it's it's going to save so much time and like little bits of frustration and that stuff adds up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, one thing worth mentioning almost as a foreshadowing is that uh, it was very surprising to see that stocks and voice memos got engineering effort put into them this year. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't really get why this was until I realized why it was and then it was confirmed later on in the show. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about that in the macOS section. Uh, watch OS 5 I, I'm a huge I don't know if you you wear an Apple watch I'm a huge fan yeah yeah I'm a I'm a big fan I, I got yeah. an original um, pretty quick after they came out and I, I love mine I really do and one thing that stood out to me on stage is is um, it feels like Apple is is polishing the message around the watch mm-hmm. a little bit better I remember they said I believe it was we're gonna help you stay active and connected you know, better than ever or something like that. Yeah. And those, yeah. those two things really distill the watch down to what it means to me. It helps me get active. It helps motivate me and it keeps me connected to like the things that I really want to tap me on my wrist. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, um, 
they're starting to open up the watch as well. Uh, you know, there's not custom, there's not third party watch faces even yet. Yeah. But the the big one, I think, the the big headline feature for WatchOS five is uh, third party access to the Siri face. Yes. Which the, the Siri face has been good, but without you know your your OmniFocus things appearing in there or your Google Calendar appearing in there, uh, it was of limited use. You know, you had to really be like in a pure Apple ecosystem to really enjoy uh, the Siri face on, on WatchOS 5. But uh, I, I look forward to seeing what happens with that because I think it could be a really, really cool feature. Yeah, I think it's a good reminder that I think Apple wants to build these platforms and, and open them up to developers. I think... You know, I'm, I'm not in the heads of all the people who work in the background on this stuff, but it, it seems to me like it's just a matter of, of time and getting the right tools and building blocks in place. You know, mm-hmm. because the, the watches, it's a, it's a tiny environment. You don't have a ton of room in there to, you know, take up memory or add, you know, 20 widgets to a, a watch screen. And so it's, it's really nice to see Apple opening that up because that was the first thing I heard out of everyone's mouth when they saw the Siri screen is what you just said, like, Wow, that's amazing. Too bad I can't see OmniFocus or CityMap or whatever in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Other things in there, uh, you can now put controls in the notifications so that you can uh, do things. They showed an example of like, uh, was it Kayak again? I'm not sure. Or was it a a restaurant reservation app? But it was something where you, the notification came up and you could change the number of people that were involved in the booking that you had uh, right in the notification rather than even having to open the app. So... So that's going to be helpful too. Those watch interactions have got to get short. You know, that's, that's yeah. always been the key thing on the, on the watch. Um, and the walkie-talkie app seems like good fun. I can see kids in school using that quite a lot. Yeah, that, that was a great idea. I mean, I, I can just see using it around the house. Uh, you know, we, mm-hmm. have a, we have a two-floor house and a basement. And sometimes, you know, I'm looking for a tool downstairs while my wife is working on a project upstairs or whatever. And we have to go yeah. back and forth and... You're either yelling at each other and missing it half the time, or you just call each other two floors away, <laughs> and it's, you know, it's just it's goofy either way, and so that's yeah. that's a perfect solution. Yeah, yeah, that that is going to be a fun app, I think, and and it's so simple, you know, that's that's the beauty of it. But also there, I, I saw that they added the just the right amount of user interaction and opt-in because if I recall, you you pick a contact that you want to walkie-talkie, but they have to approve you to do it. You can't just start walkie-talking someone and, you know, <laughs> annoying them. They, you know, yes. you'll get yes. an alert, something like, you know, Fraser wants to walkie-talkie you. Do you want to do you want to do this and you say, "Yeah," and then you it opens up that channel. Yeah, that's, that's going to be good fun. Although I, I can see times when, you know, you're going to be on stage doing a presentation and somebody's going to be like, hey, what's up? <laughs> so, uh, that that um uh uh, do not disturb until feature is going to become increasingly useful over time. I think. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody needs to get familiar with that. With that feature. <laughs> um, yeah. The, the last kind of big thing for WatchOS five, I think, is that there seems, to, and this is just something that sort of come out with the. Uh, obviously, they announced in the keynote that the Apple Podcasts app was coming to the watch, which I think is a really big deal. But what's an even bigger deal for those of us who maybe use a, a different podcast app is that. There, there is, I think, today or tomorrow, an, an audio apps for watchOS session, 
which in the description for that seems to indicate that um, you could essentially build a standalone podcast app on watchOS 5. It includes things like uh, ways to download audio onto the onto the Apple Watch and w- ways to control the volume and the playback from, from your app. That was something that had always been a kind of handicap on, on podcast apps on watchOS was uh, that you couldn't use the crown to control the volume like you can in the music application. So uh, that seems to be quite interesting. And I, I'm a big fan of Overcast and I use the, the Watch app all the time in Overcast. Uh, and having that be a better control platform, I think, would be very interesting too. Yeah, that that was really nice to see because you know the watch is is most popular for like activity stuff, and then probably notifications, kind of like how Apple pitches it. But audio mm-hmm. is way up there. It's it's been such an important yeah. feature, and so it's it's nice to see some expansion. Yeah, the part part of the text in, in the session description is uh, a full fledged background mode for local audio playback. Which has always been a kind of tricky one. I know there was a there was a workout app that, when, if you started a workout, it could also be a podcast player at the same time because it was allowed to live on, because <laughs> it was a workout app. But you could, being doing your workout, you could also then play a podcast back as well. So you had to sort of build a workout app in order to get to build a podcast app. But in in WatchOS five, that seems to be finally going away. I don't know if you noticed, David, that um, WatchOS 5 actually drops support for the original Apple Watch. That detail didn't really come out clearly, but that's uh, Series 1 and beyond uh, are the only watches that are getting WatchOS 5. Yeah, and that's that's, uh, certainly a a bummer for anyone who who has one, but I'm not surprised. I mean, the original was so slow and... I remember people back then trying to make the argument that because it was so underpowered for what it was, Apple should have just waited until, you know, mm. the series one or two before releasing the watch at all. And I could, I could see some weight to that. I had one, and I mean, yeah. that's people almost people were very very quick to say like, don't even bother running apps on this thing. Like, just do the built-in stuff because yeah. everything else is way too slow, and it's just much easier to grab your phone while you're waiting for something to open. So. It's, it sounds like letting go of that will uh, kind of free up some of that legacy support people mm. had had to keep around and, and the whole platform can hopefully kind of move move forward. I feel bad for the people who've got the gold one. Your ten thousand pound there. Yeah. Well, I'd imagine if you're the type of person that had a gold one, you're the type of person who you know, yeah. buying another three or four hundred, a new three or four hundred dollar watch probably won't be too big of a deal for you. Yeah, I see. I feel bad for them, but I don't think I can really feel bad for Andy who's got a ten thousand dollar watch. So, <laughs> suck it up, rich people. Okay. <laughs> um, there wasn't a whole lot of love for TVOS this year. Uh, there's um, something about Swiss Television happened, and something about Dolby Atmos happened. I think my. my that's a software thing, right? It's, you don't have to buy a new... There's not a new hardware device for that. That's just a new software feature, I think. Yeah, I believe so, but home yeah. audio gets a little outside of my, my wheelhouse. But Same people here. I know who are really into like 4K and, and this high-end audio seemed pretty excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there, was, there was a lot of 4K stuff, too. They promised a lot of new 4K uh, content, a lot more coming to the store, and... I was kind of surprised that if you already own a movie, an HD movie that's going to get 4K support, you just get the f- upgraded 4K version for free. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of well, cool. I, I, I mean, I love my Apple TV. You know, we we have one at home and we use it 
all day, every day. I mean, not all day, every day. We, we don't watch that much TV, but all the TV we watch comes through an Apple TV. And, and it, in the UK in particular, we get the BBC iPlayer. We've got you know, Amazon Prime, you know, between BBC, Amazon, Netflix and YouTube. You know, that's that's enough viewing for anybody for a lifetime, you know. So uh, I, I'm really a really big fan of Apple TV. Okay, um, shall we wrap up with some macOS stuff? I know it's uh, the sort of story of this uh, WWDC, I think, is that uh, this is what happens when platforms mature. Uh, and and macOS is certainly very mature at this stage, but it got a lot of love and a lot of... Um, yeah, uh, it did. You know, a lot of backing from the Apple execs. It, it, was, it was nice to see because there's that conversation going right now where, like you said, the Mac is kind of mature. Like, what, what else does Apple do with it? And Apple, of course, has obviously been spending a lot of time on iOS, but the improvements they announced felt genuine. I mean, those sounded genuinely useful and people seemed, you know, decently mm-hmm. excited for them. Yeah, so the dark mode was the kind of headline feature that they put in. Um, there is a feature about time-shifting desktop pictures as well, where uh, as your day goes on, the, the scene that you see in your desktop picture goes from morning to afternoon to evening and then uh, and then to night as well. And I was thinking, I was sure I had an app on macOS 9 that did exactly this. It, had the, this, it showed you the same scene and it would take it from morning to evening. It's, it's weird seeing some of these old ideas come back. It, it strikes me as basically the concept of, of live wallpapers from mm-hmm. iOS and, of course, tons of other platforms. It's not like iOS was the first to do that. But I, yeah. I think I had a similar app on, on OS X in the early days that you know was sort of a theming app where you could change everything. You could change the menu bar and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff and do all these things that I'm sure were blasphemous to, to Apple. Yeah. I, I can't remember the name of it anymore, but... Uh, yeah, that was an interesting little style thing they added in. Yeah, um, and they're also letting you. Uh, this is completely, you know, this, this is you know, uh, gilding the lily in every possible way. But you can, you know, how the the blue highlight for the menus on the Mac now. You can actually choose your own tint for that, so you can you can do a whole black and red OS if you want as well. Oh, yeah, I missed that. That's cute. yeah. Wow, they're yeah. opening that up. Um. The other thing I thought was very interesting, given my kind of history in the olden days as a, as a sort of Mac nerd, is this idea of the desktop file stacks, where then this is where your, your messy desktop can be organized into um, file type groups, so you can have you know presentations and then screenshots and then uh, documents and so on, and inside these piles you you are stacked visually stacked multiple different files now this is an idea as a user interface concept i'm certain this idea has been around for about 20 or 30 years and it's always been back in the olden days i don't know if you remember this david like every every mac os version that came out people were like oh files piles is going to be in, uh, implemented at this point and they sort of did it with with stacking files in the dock a little bit when you had like the download folder and stuff but oh, this yeah. is kind of the, the final that idea that I'm, I'm sure was like in early papers about the Macintosh UI design or maybe even before uh, this idea of stacking files in a single icon that represents a pile of files that you would then manipulate in some way. It's finally here. I guess they've run out of other ideas. So they're, <laughs> they're now down at the bottom of the, of the, the stack of ideas, if you like. Um, but it's, it's interesting, just fascinating from a history point of view to see that coming. Uh, and I'm sure that's been an idea that's kicked around for years and years and years. And it's it's something else that I, I think I'll, I'll whip out the finally card on because if for so long, 
I mean, so I, I work at home, which means I also get out to a lot of cafes. I go to some conferences. So I see a lot of desktops around out in the world, you know, people from it's all walks of life. not a pretty sight usually, is it? And yeah, it's, it's never a pretty sight. Almost never. I can't remember the last desktop I saw where it was like, wow, that person takes care of their files. You know, mm. and it's it's been this problem for so long that the desktop has just been this tool that people kind of defaulted to because it's right there. So you can kind of get your files quickly. And it, it became pretty clear to me a while ago that people just hate the file system. Most people, obviously not everybody, yeah. but, you know, they just don't want to deal with it. So they just save it to the desktop and it becomes this terrible cluttered place. And it was one of the reasons why I really liked what Apple was doing with iOS in in the early days of getting rid of that whole concept and reversing it instead of having your files sitting in front of your face you have your apps which are sort of your portals into the files you care about for that particular task and you know finder has just been stuck pretty much as it is right now for years i mean apple hasn't really touched it a whole lot and so they're this is a problem i feel like that's been sticking around for a while and I'm, i'm glad to see apple you know, make an attempt to, to solve it, whether or not it becomes something that people like to use, whether it's solving this problem in the right way, you know, of course, we're going to have to wait and see. But uh, finally, you know, absolutely. You know, I, th- I think it's uh, it's an interesting idea. You know, iOS clearly has not succeeded in shifting the industry away from the file first uh, model, and of course, you see, you know, files on iOS as well. Yeah. Which interestingly didn't get any love. I, I was wondering whether files might have got some love in iOS 12 because it's it's still a pretty basic application. But um, just sort of looking at that, I think you know, if you think about the, all the computer users in the world. You know, of the all of the computer users of the world, how many of them have achieved competence with a hierarchical filing system? <laughs> is, it, is is it even half? <laughs> Probably not, it. right? No. And, and how many of them have achieved like mastery of that? Is it, is it even 10%? I mean, I look at my own file system and I'm like, well, I'd love it to be more organized than that, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's just not that organized, you know, and, and there's, you know, th- your work is almost too dynamic to be keeping filing it away all the time. So, you know, we still haven't got to the place with files where um, like somebody needs to do like a Gmail for files. You know, the way that Gmail changed the model from filing to search. Oh. We've been sort of trying that for years and years and years on the desktop. We've never quite got there with it. So and there's been all kinds of computer science research about that and, and user interface research around about search first interfaces and things like that. But we've never quite got away from the traditional hierarchical filing system. Yeah, I'd imagine Spotlight was sort of an attempt at that. Mm-hmm. You know, especially being able to search, look inside of files. So now your your file names don't matter quite as much because so yeah. many files get you know this completely useless line of you know string of random numbers and letters. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. We we haven't really moved beyond that much. So, but you know, we're gonna have to see whether Stacks is actually solving the problem in the in the right way. I think absolutely. Uh, and I suppose we can't really finish, David, without talking about the big story, the, the sort of one last thing that came just right at the end of the keynote, which was the announcement of, they didn't call it this, but what we've kind of been hearing about for a while is uh, Project Marzipan, this idea of uh, being able to take an iOS app with, with very little or no changes and essentially run it on the Mac and th- this seems to be a real thing. And, and this was the this was the reason why um, 
uh, stocks and news and voice memos got a whole lot of engineering time on, on iOS 12 because those apps have been converted to marzipan apps, whatever they're actually calling them. And that's what that's how and why they are on the Mac now as well, because they're essentially the iOS versions uh, converted into this framework, which seems to just be the, the UI kit framework for from iOS running on the Mac. Um, and now they're on the Mac. They're going to ship on, in Mojave as the kind of first um, proof of technology for this new technology that is going to allow developers to bring iOS apps to the Mac. I think this is a fascinating dynamic, and I'd love to know what you think about it. I'm I'm really interested in it, and I got the feeling looking at, uh, like you said, news and stocks, that they, they if you're trying to picture this, they look a lot like iPad apps, I thought. Mm, and... Do. So me, I'm not not being a developer, but me being a user who I, I have a taste for a good app experience, and so I notice when it feels like developers have have sort of phoned it in, and you know, there's a lot of apps out there that are that are just they're web wrappers. You know, they're just a basic web browser, or uh, I think is this Electron framework mm-hmm. that that developers have been talking about right now. I can I can feel it when an app is phoning it in, and it doesn't feel like a real Mac app, and so. If, if this tool is good, if it's a good process and it makes it much easier for developers to bring their iOS apps over, and let's face it, these days it seems like developers will build for iOS first and maybe for Mac later. And of those developers who bother to do that, instead of just sticking with like their website, so many of them, you know, phone it in with these web wrappers or, or some type of other, you know, really poor system. If this is a much easier route to bringing a, a more native, better experience to, to a, a Mac version of an app. I'm, I'm really interested in it. It's fascinating. It speaks to the extent to which any useful app today is a front end to a cloud service and not a local experience by itself. You know, I mean, oh, how, yeah. how many how many apps that you launch on a on a regular basis now are just purely self-contained on any one device that you have? I mean, BB Edit, Word. You know, <laughs> there's yeah. not many apps in your app folder on on either platform where there's not some kind of of backend service that goes along with it. And and I think um, you think of an app like Ulysses, for example, which has got a great iOS app and a great Mac app. You know that's a lot of effort for any developer and and obviously ios is is the dominant platform at apple we've known that for several years now if not longer um but here's a question that i want to pose to you right what is the future for the 12.9 inch ipad pro and keyboard combination in a world where you could buy a macbook with the same amount of storage Similar processor, slightly slower actually, um, for basically the same amount of money. And the mm. MacBook will run all the iOS apps that you want and it will run things like Chrome, for example, if you really need, as I do, uh, high-powered Google Docs, for example, for work. Uh, what's the future of that platform? I think that's a fascinating dynamic. I think it comes down to thinking about the purpose of what you want to do. Because to use an example, look at somebody like an artist. You know, if they if they want to draw on a screen and have great drawing apps, I'd imagine they'd probably look at an iPad 
or or maybe they want a larger computer setup with something like a, a Wacom tablet. But if we're looking in between these two, just these two devices, I mean, it, it seems pretty clear that they they look at the the iPad. If you're talking about people who are doing very heavy Mac-like tasks like programming or you know complicated spreadsheet work and stuff, then that's probably going to more traditionally side with the with the Mac. And so. You know, there, there's a lot of things. I remember that blog post you wrote about uh, can can my MacBook Pro replace my iPad? Mm-hmm. Kind of turning that old question on its on its head. And I wonder if that still really applies here because, you know, could that MacBook walk around in my hand with a GPS in it and help me catalog things out in the field for my company? You know, probably not. But the iPad could. Interesting. You know, it has, yeah. It, it has 4G and accelerometer, GPS. You know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think those um, those those tasks and the purpose of what you're trying to do will help really de- define that. I think that's that's a great answer, David. You know, you've really you've clarified my thinking as well, and just what you've you've said right there. Uh, you know, I've um, I'm, I'm now using 12.9 inch iPad Pro, and I have a MacBook as well. In fact, it's your, I bought it from you. It's your old MacBook. Oh yeah. Um, and and balancing off those two things, I'm. I'm finding myself spending less time on the iPad in a work context, at least, because mm-hmm. I feel like um, my because it's the big iPad, right? And, and and I think this is probably a different story. You know, people who hear me talk say this and are sitting in front of a, a 10.5 inch iPad Pro or smaller device. Well, this might not make the same kind of sense. But if you put this big iPad side by side with that MacBook, they're basically the same thing. You know, it, it's a really is like the MacBook almost is like the iOS laptop that runs macOS. You know, so it's yeah interesting. It's, they're just at that crossover point, you know, where where the two platforms kind of meet. That's the the nexus, and it's it's kind of weird having both of them to be honest with you. But uh, that's the kind of idiot I am, just to have too many computers in my life. And this is a a great time to mention. So so that. That uh, crossover between like a big iPad and a, and a small MacBook, like you mentioned, is part of what I think was fueling a lot of the the rumors and speculation about whether Apple would combine the OSs or create some mm-hmm. hybrid or bring iOS to the Mac or vice versa. And uh, I think it was Craig Federighi, might have been Tim Cook, I can't remember, who very clearly answered that question on stage. Yeah, <laughs> that slide is, is going to be in memes forever. Uh, the big slide that just says no. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's a great yeah. gif. You know, just yeah. a giant no that falls in. <laughs> so Apple Apple seems very clear that uh, that that is not going to be happening at least anytime soon. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see first of all how much adoption this gets. But it looks like if if it is like a near zero or or zero cost translation from ios wouldn't it be nice to have a netflix app on your mac you know as opposed to the website and it'll be interesting to see just how oh, yeah. that all, how that all moves and flows over the next couple of years because there are definitely you know i mean I'm, I'm sitting in front of a mac talk looking at my notes here but i'm actually recording the show on my ipad in ferry and that app ferry is a great app and um, it's actually nicer to use than many audio editors on the mac so you know could ferry come over to the mac Oh wow! With this system, you know that would be a great feature. You know, it's going to yeah. be fascinating to see how that all plays out. I'd, I'd imagine this would 
just off the top of my head and, and not having talked to many developers or any of my clients about this yet, I'd, I'd imagine this this marzipan, whatever the actual uh, uh, tool is is actually called, would be very beneficial to small developers with limited resources mm-hmm. and large companies that don't want to bother devoting the resources towards making a native Mac app because they probably already have a great website and possibly a mobile app although there's a great chance that their mobile app is just a web wrapper for their website, <laughs> you know? So I, I wonder if this tool will be really helpful for those two ends of the market where you're a mobile developer, you wanted to target the iPhone for X, Y, and Z reasons. You'd love to have a Mac app, but you don't have a Mac developer. You don't have the time to manage two separate apps, you know, whatever the situation. Yeah. I wonder if this will be a big help there. Yeah, you can sort of imagine Omnigroup using this. You know, they're that middle middle way that you know they've got their mac developers they've got their ios apps they can do everything but the the companies the big companies as you say that won't do everything or the small developers like you know i don't know a drafts or something where there's a great ios app that's getting a lot of love but doing a mac app maybe is daunting for a for a one-person company like that Uh, bringing drafts to the mac via marzipan might be the uh, an ideal strategy you know there are such great apps on iOS and, and bringing them to the Mac can only enhance things, I think. Right, right. I mean, there, there's so many people who are on both platforms and I see it a lot on Twitter. I mean, I watch the community and I watch people say, you know, I love your iPhone app, but I also have a Mac. I'd love to use it there too. And the developers are like, we'd love to do one, but we just, we don't have the time. We don't have the money to pay another developer. Yep. So that's one to keep an eye on. That's that's not part of iOS 12 or, or macOS Mojave. It's uh, it's not being open to third-party developers until next year. So it's there are technology proof-of-concept apps in Mojave, uh, news, stocks, voice memos, um, and, and one other, I think, I'm not sure. Uh, but we'll see what, where that goes. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, that was another sort of rare... Uh, very early sneak peek from Apple. They don't they don't do that too often. You know, usually their their window is, you know, they announce some stuff. Let's say at WDC, and it comes out within like maybe a couple months. You know, this tool they yeah. they said very clearly yeah. like this isn't coming out till at least twenty nineteen. I think there's just so much speculation about it. They had to sort of address it a little bit, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. could be. Well, David, I think it's been a very interesting show. Yeah, you know, we when I started writing the notes for for this episode, I thought, well, I don't know how we're going to get short of this because it's almost like nothing happened. You know, that when you write it down, there's not that many features, but the, the I feel like there have been put in place um, milestones, like we've just talked about, or, or stepping stones to a, a different future for both the Mac and iOS platforms. And I think it's just going to be fascinating to see. You know, maybe we do this show five years from now where are all these platforms going to be? I don't think there's earth-shattering things just yet, but I think these it could change the course of, of the future for some of these different platforms. Yeah, and, and hopefully they're going to make some real improvements to our, our day-to-day device usage, even if it means we use them a little less. For sure, for sure. David, thank you for coming on the show this, this week. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Yeah. I, I love doing yeah. this. I hope uh, Federico goes to more conferences. <laughs> Let's do this again. David, where can people find you online if they, if they want to hear more from you? You can find me on Twitter at Chartier, C-H-A-R-T-I-E-R, and on my website, finertech.com. 
Okay, and this show, this has been uh, Canvas episode 62. You can find show notes for this show at relay.fm slash canvas. You can connect with the show at underscore canvas FM on Twitter. David is Chartier. I'm Fraser Spears. Federico is Vitici on Twitter. And we'll talk to you all next show. <laughs>